0: We have asked for your feedback, and I am pleased to report that listener interactions are picking up, including a fun suggestion that arrived a couple of days ago. More on that as we dive into episode 34 of In Goal Radio, the podcast, a presentation of The Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. I'm your host, Darren Millard, and this week, the gear segment focuses on the great and boundless area of goalie accessories. I'll explain. InGoal Magazine co-founder Kevin Woodley does double duty cornering Vancouver Canucks goalie coach Ian Clark for an interesting conversation, both for the topics they cover and how this interview is conducted. Woodley and his founding father, partner in crime, David Hutchison, join me now. And uh, Hutch, uh, go to you first. How would would you describe Woody's ability to be creative in this area of locking down guests for InGoal Radio?
1: You have to be impressed by the tenacity of Kevin Woodley, who will go to all lengths to get a guest. Whether that means traveling all the way up to Kelowna at four o'clock in the morning so he can meet with somebody, or in this case, hanging around the rink uh, till the end of the workday for Canucks goaltending Koji and Clark, and uh, giving him a ride home so that he can put the mic up and uh, and have that conversation in the in-goal mobile studio. I'm just feeling a little bit badly that you've had an interview in your mobile studio. Kevin's had several in his. And uh, all I can claim is that we did one intro to one episode from the, uh, the front of my Prius well parked at a motocross store in Kelowna, BC. So I got to get a guest into my studio one day too.
0: Well, the battery causes way too much interference uh, from the Prius uh, for the recording process. That's, that's the situation. <laughs> there's there. a,
2: there's also the whole cleanliness factor. Hutch is always ripping me for my car being like spotless, but that comes in handy when you're inviting NHL guests to sit in the front seat. Well, yeah, so, they, they roll your way for sure. Hutch might have to clear out a few fast food wrappers first. <laughs> I, I didn't
0: realize that you were actually driving... Uh, Clark somewhere, this in this case his house. I thought he just jumped in because you guys were looking for a quiet area to do the interview, but it was it was a full transit.
2: Yeah, no, I think and uh listen, I, I'm I'm a pretty lucky guy. Uh you know, as we say in the interview, I've got a long time relationship with him. Uh I do sit in his coach's office every once in a while and he shows me some things and um technical elements and we just talk goaltending. Like uh it's <laughs> It's pretty pretty cool, like pretty blessed to be able to have those experiences, but uh, there was a lot going on at Rogers Arena. The prospects were wrapping up their camp. The veterans were having an informal skate. Uh, the last couple of days and over the weekend, they were filming their big intro. Uh, the, the intro, they'll come onto the ice two all season and it's their 50th season so there was just a ton going on and uh, rather than me going into an area in that circumstance where I'm maybe not technically supposed to be as a media member um, it was just a lot easier to kill two birds with one stone He needed to lift home and uh the rolling in goal studio went to work there were a few looks at traffic lights as people tried to figure out why these two guys at the car were each holding a mic and having a conversation and um somebody you know one lady was really really like craning her neck to try and and pointing and trying to figure it out and uh the good news is she never figured out it was just me because she would have stopped caring but uh it was it was pretty entertaining (laughs) Let's hope she's from Revenue Canada, and
0: uh, when you write off your mileage, uh, you can say, hey, look, uh, th- this is what I was doing. It- it's it's all good. Uh,
2: hey, I write off my mileage regardless. My wife is my accountant, so uh, <laughs> it's all legit. Um, I was more worried she'd be from WorkSafe BC, and we were going to get an invoice. Uh, I think uh, you're yeah. going to
1: get a ticket for uh, using a handheld electronic device while driving that car.
2: Yeah, I wonder. Does that qualify?
1: Uh, it's unreal what they will qualify to do that nowadays, so...
2: I wasn't huh. on my phone, boys. I wasn't on my phone.
1: I'm just trying to. I I want a picture of you driving the car, holding a microphone.
0: Don't use the electric toothbrush either. Uh, Tim Thomas is <laughs> in the news uh, for for a couple of things. One, he's he's not going to do a uh, really any media going forward. Uh, there was a lot of requests and a few people reaching out to him. Uh, we've been knocking on his door. Uh, the response uh, in. Reaction to his induction or announcement that he's going to be inducted to the USA Hockey Hall of Fame, Woody?
2: It's funny. My response was, uh, and you're right. I mean, he has been uh, you know, sort of, he's just kind of gone dark a little bit since he retired. And I I was just happy for him to hear the news. I think it's well-deserved. I think it brings up a bigger question given, uh, you know, his career started late and maybe didn't last as long as some others. But as good as as good as they come when he was at when he got an opportunity in the NHL so there's another hall of fame I think we have to ask about um I guess I understand as a media person that every story that comes out of this induction and the questions center around how his career ended and we all know how um politics and sports intersected uh towards the end of it and and I'll be honest with you I like all I thought about was as people, other people discuss that, like how good a guy this, he was to us. Um, I just wish I could talk hockey with him again. Uh, his takes on the position, his willingness to share his thoughts on the position, the evolution of the position, the evolution of his game equipment. Um, he was as gracious with his time as any goaltender has been with us. And that's a that's a pretty long list of guys who have been good to us over the years at Ingole magazine. And I just love that opportunity again to talk hockey. Uh heard, you know, he talked about some nervous system issues, um, have read some stories about maybe post-concussion symptom. I just hope everything's good in his world uh, because he was really good to us. And so congratulations on the U.S. A Hockey Hall of Fame to Tim Thomas. And, you know, hopefully maybe at the induction ceremony, people can, you know, we can hear him talk about the game itself and, and maybe less focused on, on how his career ended. I I get it as a journalist. That's, that's, that's part of the story, but, um, I want to hear the other stories because there are some beauties and he tells them as well as anyone. Total gear geek. Oh, you know what? And you know, one of my favorite Tim Thomas stories too, is the mask. Um, Darren, uh, I don't know if you'd remember this, but, uh, he, he, he wore a mask for the month of November. Uh, it was a Movember theme mask, uh, it had, it was painted by, uh, eye candy air, uh, it was sort of, I can't remember Hush. Was it our idea? Was it their idea? Yeah, like we all, no, we I, all,
1: we started it. Yeah. We started we it. On it we, together. we reached, yeah, we reached out to eye candy. We reached out to, uh, Tony Priolo at sport mask who, who built that famous mask of his
2: and, uh, and then they facilitated the discussions
1: for us with Timmy.
2: Yeah. And to, so the idea of course was to raise money, obviously for November, um, high profile guy at the time, obviously I uh, had some ties to it through his dad in terms of wanting to raise money for that type of awareness and, and research. Um, and I think to me, the amazing thing was that your assumption when you do something like that, like your first instinct is to do an auction, right? Like the highest bid yeah. wins it. That's how you raise money. And Tim, um he wasn't into that. Cause that just meant the guy with the biggest checkbook was going to be able to buy his mask. And as much as that could raise a lot of money, he saw a better way and we ended up doing a raffle. And in his mind, what that meant was you didn't have to be rich to have an opportunity to win this mask. All you had to do was be able to buy a $10 raffle ticket. And I'd be honest, I don't remember what the total was, but it far exceeded what the expectations would have been uh, in terms of winning that mask in an auction. One person winning it with a bit, you know, again, being able to cut a big check, Uh, lots of entries everybody had a chance to win it you know kind of a man of of the people kind of move on his part and then of course being as gracious as he was uh, i remember him and we have photos of it somewhere meeting with the winners after a game uh in boston and, and just taking photos with them and just you know to me that that's another example of a side that not a lot of people saw rather than just hey yeah i'll raise money and the guy with the most money gets to win it he really wanted to make sure fans. You know, if you could afford a $10 raffle ticket, he wanted to give you that opportunity to win that game-worn mask. He went 9-0 and with a 9.41 save percentage during the month of November in that mask. And then game-worn handed it off to the winner of, 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 that, um, of that raffle. The mage. The mage, yeah. The
0: mage and uh, that uh, style of mask, it, it never did catch on, which we've had that discussion Oh, why wouldn't it? Because of, uh, of all the success that he had. So a two-time Vesna Trophy winner, Jennings winner, uh, Con Smythe winner, Stanley Cup champion, 214 wins. It's not the win total that gets you into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, it's, he's not at that level of that, that magical 320, 325 uh, area, but those other trophies certainly qualify. And then you add in his international experience and a four-year starter at Vermont Hutch uh, stepped in and, and owned that job uh, for his entire career. Like he, he, It looked like he was on a, on a great run, but then ended up doing things really the hard way from the rest of the, uh, rest of the run. But that's what I love
1: about him and why I think he deserves to be there. I mean, all the accolades, he deserves to be there. Uh, I would like to see him there just because he provides inspiration to goaltenders everywhere that, uh, that you shouldn't quit. He, he took the road less traveled. He got there later than everybody else. And that's, that's what we all look to for inspiration. And then he didn't just get there, but, but he succeeded at the highest levels.
0: Um, yeah, what a great story. Drafted by the Quebec Nordiques, in case you're wondering.
3: I so he goes that. back
0: far enough for Quebec, and he also goes far enough to have ties on his uh, on his hockey DB, which is uh, we're we're running out of out of those those guys. Uh, he he is personable, uh, and and I'm I'm one of those ones where you just he's as much as we'd love to share everything that that, that happens with Tim Thomas, I would also just walk on hot coals to be in a room and just listen to the guy talk goaltending.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, and and we've got some of them, we'll highlight some of them on social media here this week. Um, Some of the Q&As we ran with them, some of the conversations we had, uh, why he used straight bars, didn't have a cat eye on his cage, felt that vertical lines were easier for him visually to manage. Uh, just the the detail. I've had this conversation with Alex all over the years, like one of the most detailed guys he ever played with. And don't forget, like Alex played with a lot of them, right? He played, he played with Henrik Lundqvist in New York. He played with Carey Price in Montreal. And um, the way that Tim approached the game, thought the game, loved the game, uh, and the position itself was—I'd say unmatched—but it was, it was, it was up there near the near the some of the biggest names and and some of the most passionate goaltenders that we've gotten to know over the years. So You're back at the
0: hockey shop this week for the gear segment. Uh, I have a question for you as, as somebody that that's at the hockey shop, a source for sports uh, in Surrey, Woody. When you, so you're there so often? When you walk back in after a couple of weeks away, like it was uh, this week. Are you looking around for anything that, that's new or different or catches your eye? Or is it just, you're so used to just being there, it's it's business as usual?
2: Well, first of all, it's like Norm walking into Cheers, for those old enough to remember that one. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, it's more like, oh crap, this guy's here again? <laughs> here he is. Oh yeah. man. Um, Hi. I do. And the funny thing is, is, and we'll talk about this in the gear segment, there are some new items that have arrived. Uh, we are going to focus on... Uh, a base layer from On Iric or One I R I C. I'm not quite sure how we pronounce it, but we have reviewed it. Uh, we're going to talk about that. That's new to the store. It's a product that we really like. So Cam's going to walk us through that. Uh, but but there's another little tease here for for our listeners to stick around uh, and listen to the gear segment because there were some pro return sticks this week, and not only are they fascinating and unique. And we're talking superstar names. Um, But you can get them for $100 less than you would pay just to buy a stock stick off the rack for those pro return sticks. So a little tease there. Um, That's why I go to the hockey shop, Darren, because every time I walk in, even when I go regularly, they've usually got some specialty items that I haven't seen before. Um, Not just like the latest and greatest and from the top brands in terms of gloves, blockers, pads, sticks, but items like the pro returns, uh, accessories you mentioned. There are so many different things where they're ahead of the curve. I noticed that they've got the goalie block in stock uh, as well. That little rubberized piece that goes under your index finger on the paddle of your stick to sort of save you if a puck rides up. Uh, saw that at the retail store today for the first time. Even apparel. Uh, some really cool t-shirts. Some some new new t-shirts and hats. So. Uh, If you can get there in person, I highly recommend it. It really is like a slice of heaven, goaltending heaven, that is. An entire floor dedicated to the position uh, at The Source for Sports in Surrey, Vancouver suburbs. If you can't get there in person, make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. It was a pleasure to be back and checking out some of the new things. So stay tuned for that gear segment uh, coming up a little later in the show. And if you have a chance, check it out in person. Like I said, online or in person at The Hockey Shop, Source for Sports.
0: Hutch, I want to bring you into something that Woody just brought up. What what was that, uh, the, the rub piece of rubber padding that fits uh, the underneath on the, on yeah, the goalie we've been, yeah, what, yeah. Do we've, you know what that is? And can you explain it to me?
1: Yep. Yep. We've got one here. Uh, Maddie's been using it since the summer when, uh, Joel Hofer of the Portland Winterhawks was, uh, in a training group with him this summer at one of Eli Wilson's camps. And Joel, uh, does a skate, I believe with the guy who invented the goalie block and he, he handed one over to Maddie to use, um, great idea uh brilliant in its simplicity and it's just a block of rubber that wraps around uh the paddle of your stick just below where you would hold it obviously you can put it anywhere you want the intent is just below where you hold it uh for those shots that tend to ride up the paddle and into the finger and despite all the advances in protection on blockers uh some guys are still getting uh hit on the the index finger can have that finger broken fairly easily So that little block of rubber just sits there and stops that from happening. It it adds almost no weight to your stick, uh, not a super expensive item to me. It really seems like a no brainer to have one on your stick. Um, the only caveat I would give, give just in, in, you know, full disclosure here is, uh, it's causing a little bit of discoloration underneath, uh, the block. It's just a hard black rubber. And I don't know if there's some sort of chemical leaching from it, but it's, it's causing some yellowing on the stick underneath, uh, doesn't really matter uh, but if it if you're as anal about how your stick looks as Kevin is about the interior of his car then you you might want to think about that
2: <laughs> yeah and the other the other caveat would be I guess if you're going to use it and you're in a situation where you actually could end up using a backup stick you almost got to buy two because um, yeah. yeah. it's not something you can just yank off in 10 seconds while changing sticks at the bench uh, in the midst of a game so if you really value the protection you might need it to buy two which is probably good for the hockey shop just buy two yeah. um we now did you have guys it out... i've
1: talked to have talked about just not even using one in a game because they want that standard lighter feel in a game but they sort of keep it on their practice stick
2: oh, that's a good idea actually and uh, we did see it at net 360 uh, actually the the early skate i went up to in Kelowna was the first time i saw guys with it um and a lot of those guys were then again at net 360 and a couple of them, James Reimer was one, Troy Grossnick was another. I liked it enough that they kept it, so I saw it on their sticks for the first time in July, and they were still using it in August, and Grossnick did a little, if you check out our In Goal, mag or in Goal magazine uh, on Instagram, he did a little video about it, and funny enough, sure enough, the one drill I was filming of him in August, he took one that caught him just underneath the blocker, kind of a rising shot in tight and he was turning his hand and he kind of looked at me and I think we both knew that that he felt like that one it it did save him on it so it looks like it's a permanent addition to to his twigs for the year in the American Hockey League and end up potentially with the Nashville Predators in the NHL it uh, it's totally legal you can use it in games it's funny um I don't I know it's never wh- been thought about yeah, yeah, I don't know that there's a rule of for or against it. There certainly isn't one against it, and I guess my question would be: there's no advantage other than safety, and it I guess potentially, like Hutch says, it's not it's negligible in terms of making your stick mm-hmm. heavier. So there's no performance advantage. It's just safer.
0: I'll reach out to Kay and uh, and I'll pose that to him, and and we'll give you the answer next week. Providing I remember, so I'm putting that on YouTube to remind me to ask Kay, to, to make sure that, uh, that, I, that I get that answer. But uh, there's also a good gear uh, segment for you, uh, potentially down the road. So, Woody, we've, we've come up with all kinds of content for future episodes here.
2: Yeah, hopefully. Let's not talk any more about it. We're going to give away all the okay. secrets. Uh, okay, let's get
0: into the feature interview. Uh, Ian Clark, if he's not the godfather of goalie coaches, uh, he's the first cousin of that person. That's the way I'd describe him. He's been on a journey that's included coaching, private, and both for organizations as well, a stint in publishing, uh, some other media, uh, countless hours mentoring multiple generations of goalie coaches. He's currently the goalie coach of the Vancouver Canucks, but the backstory really needs to be told. And to take us on that journey, we hop in the In Goal Radio limousine
2: and ride along with Woody. So this is going to be like another episode of Riding in Cars. We started the podcast episode one with Roberto Luongo. Not this car. I got a new ride since then, but Riding in the Car with Kevin, kind of like a cheap version of the Seinfeld Comedians in Cars. And this is the third time we've ended up in the car, fourth time. But there's some ties amongst all of them. Um, Alex Ald, I believe, was our second guest in the car. And now our third guest, that's right, is Ian Clark, who, of course, has worked a long time with Roberta Luongo, worked with Alex Ald with the Vancouver Canucks Clarkey. Been wanting to get you on the show for a long time. I, I we could probably spend hours. We're limited to about 25-30 minutes here by schedule. Um, welcome to the Ingle Radio Podcast. What do you think of
4: our studio? Love the studio. Great ride. Love the studio. And also have worked in length with Kevin Woodley. So there's a even greater tie.
2: I think we have to go full disclosure on this one. Um, to be honest, I wanted to have one of our other hosts on this interview, but I couldn't fit Millard in the trunk. Uh, and he's this whole Vegas thing has got him moving just because I feel like we've knowing each other so long, I'm not sure I have any questions that I don't think I know the answer to. And those can sometimes be the worst interviews. But what, 03, 04, I met you and you introduced me to the world of goaltending through the old Goalie News magazine. I believe that is correct. And uh, you took it and ran with it. (laughs) It's been a fun adventure ever since. So for, for our guests that may not know the full story on Ian Clark, let's start with Ian Clark, the goaltender, before we get to Ian Clark, the goaltending coach for now, what, a couple decades in the NHL, um, you played in I a did. different era, <laughs> in a different style, and I've seen you bust out the odd practice move, not quite the same way you teach. Well, walk us through what got you. The, the combined passion is what we talk about here. So how did you get into goaltending? What, what made you fall in love with the position? Well, let me start by saying very clearly, I did play goal. I'm a much better goalie coach than I ever was a goalie. You, you know, you started in Vancouver, though. So you grew up in, in, like, this is home for you from in terms of growing up. This is your second stint with the Canucks, but this is also where you played minor hockey and where you you got your start.
4: Well, I actually started in Lake Howitchin, Uh, But then, yes, came here, played for years with Point Grey, Carisdale Point Grey. They amalgamated, um, spent some time playing Junior B locally, ultimately as a 17-year-old went to Penticton, played with the Penticton Knights back in the Brett Hull days, and um, ended up ultimately playing at uh, Canadian College. And um, really, that was sort of, I was moving into the twilight of my playing career at that point. um, But all through that time, really, and you may know the name Vic Lemaire. Vic was one of the first specialized goalie coaches for the position years ago, one of the very first specialized goalie schools and as a 14 year old he invited me to become a part of his staff and uh, that's where the coaching began and uh and i never really stopped coaching goaltenders went through university graduated from university took a job actually here in vancouver with london life did that for a very short period of time before i realized that ultimately my passion and my desire was to be uh, in the world of coaching goaltenders and uh, jump back into it and uh and been doing it ever since full time.
2: And this is a time when goalie coaching wasn't necessarily—I mean, certainly wasn't a common career. Like it, it, there weren't as many goalie coaches out there. It wasn't a—it wasn't—it wasn't a career path. It wasn't something that I think a lot of people would have looked at it and said, "Hey, this is what I'm going to do," and then at the NHL and at that you know high level. And this is a way I can make a living. Was that a tough tough call from there?
4: Well, you know, at the at the beginning, as you know, I think a lot of people at the time that wanted to get into this business, it was really more of a, it was really more of a goalie school type, uh, activity that I was, you know, for, at least from a career slash business perspective pursuing. And, um, uh, and, you know, really short, quite shortly after I started doing that, um, you know, you end up coaching goalies and a lot of uh, coaches, goalie coaches ask me, you know, how, you know, how, what do I, what should I do? What should I do? We end up coaching goalies and, you know, one or two of those goalies has some success and, um, you know, and then, you know, they're, and you end up, you know, in my case, it was, uh, you know, then their, their agent, because they were playing major junior, their agent was started getting interested in this, because as you said already, there's not that many goalie coaches out there. It's pretty limited. There weren't really, there might've been one or two full-time goalie coaches in the NHL at the time. Most teams had consultants, if anything, and a lot didn't have anything, and so there wasn't a huge volume. So all of a sudden, the agents got intrigued by this, and the next thing you know, you're working with NHL goalies, and the next thing you know, you know, one thing leads to another, and everything just started snowballing, and and uh, here we are. And and the first the first sort of roll of that snowball down the hill was with the Florida Panthers. Well, actually, it was uh, Ross Farwell called me up. I was actually working with BC amateur hockey in the, I don't know if you've even heard of the junior Olympic program. It was called back in the day. That's before my time. And it was, you know, much like you see team Pacific and this kind of activity going on now. And I remember very clearly, clear as day, uh, working in a Soyuz at the junior Olympic camp. Mike Babcock was the head coach. I was doing the goalie coaching. And, you know, you start, you just start building relationships, you start building network and, and, uh, to make a long story short, Russ Farwell called me and, uh, asked me if I'd be interested in coming down for an interview. And I started with the Seattle Thunderbirds and that was sort of the first sort of break into the higher levels of hockey. And, uh,
2: how many years of the Thunderbirds before we, we walk in or before we get to that first NHL gig?
4: I'm going to say I was probably three or four years. I think three really, I think the fourth year I was kind of limited because at that point I had probably joined the Panthers. So it would have been, I think about 1997 and uh, had a lot of fun down there. Great city. It's a great hockey community. They're going to do wonderful, I think, as an angel franchise.
2: Okay. And so- that's where the relationship with Roberto starts.
4: So actually the, it, actually, the way it worked out was I was coaching a goaltender, a young goaltender, uh, whose name is Cam Ward. I remember this Cam Ward. And um, so he tells you how long ago that was, because of course Cam just retired from a long, very successful NHL career. And I was working with this, this goaltender named Cam Ward, who happened to be playing for the Red Deer Rebels at the time. His agent was a fellow by the name of Herb Pinder, who was also Trevor Kidd's agent. And so again, for goalie coaches, and they often ask me, you know, you know what should I do? What should I do? How can I, you know, get this moved off center as far as my career goes? And it, it you know, it was a, that was a situation where, you know, one relationship led to another relationship at the time. Billy Smith was a goalie coach in Florida. And at the time, you know, they had made the move for Roberto and, you know, I I don't even remember why Billy ended up moving on, but regardless, it was a situation where Trevor Kidd's agent knew there was a spot. He presented my name at the time to Bill Torrey, Chuck Fletcher, Dwayne Setter, and uh, got an interview and, uh, and that was that. And that's where that, as you say, the relationship with Roberto began.
2: And it's funny because around that time, like really a lot of the goalie coaches up until sort of even even into the late 90s um, were been there, done that guys, guys who played in the league. And so guys that hadn't played in the league, what was that like, especially early on to be a guy who came from a different side of things, uh, who didn't. Wasn't able to sort of say, been there, done that, played in the NHL, here's my experience. Not so much even just with the goaltenders, but I would imagine within a coaching staff where a lot of them, again, same circles, they played in the league and then they move on to coaching. Was that, a, was that tough at any point? How has that evolved over the years?
4: Yeah, and, and, you know, even the locker room, you know, and players, you know, it was a, and I will make a correction there, I made a comment about, I, I mentioned Billy Smith, he was prior to that, it was actually Phil Muir at the time that was uh, in there. Uh, but anyways, coming back to your question, you know, it is there, there, you know, that was a, um, and a, um, you know, call it a hurdle, whatever your job as a goalie coach. The first thing you're going to do with goalies, whether it's with your head coach, uh, with your general manager, whoever, you know, you, at the end of the day, a really good goalie coach is a hell of a salesman. And at the end of the day, you've got to gain their conviction in the path you want to take, um, whether it be the one on one with a goalie, and I'm sitting there with Roberto Longo in my very first meeting, and I need to be able to articulate to him, what, you know, what it's like to work with Ian Clark, and and what direction are we going to go, and what's important to me philosophically, et cetera, et cetera. And you need to garner their buy in for that, and uh, you know, same thing, no different than an interview when you go in and meet with Dwayne Sutter and. And Chuck Fletcher and Bill Tory, you're sitting there in front of these guys, and you got to convince them on philosophically the direction that uh, you want to take the goaltending group. And and so yeah, I mean, you're it is a it is a bit of a hurdle, maybe a bigger hurdle than you know as you say, a guy that's played in the game and has just sort of evolved into to that as the next step in his career. So um, I think you definitely have to cross that. And then, of course, as time goes on, you know, you're, you build your own resume in that regard. And, and people can very clearly see the goaltenders you've worked with and the impacts you've had as you, as you move along.
3: It
2: easier to get by, like, has that process of buy-in changed over the years with that experience, with the expertise, with the reputation? Um, you've got a young goaltender, you know, I mean, I, I, for example, when, when you were hired here, Michael DiPietro had already been drafted. And, and talking to him for the first time, like, he knew you versus you having to sell him like he was eager to sort of get to see what Ian Clark was all about because he knew very much who you were and what you'd done and who you'd worked with from Roberto to Bobrovsky and Columbus. Has that Have you had to evolve or is it still at some level all about building that relationship with the guy? Maybe it's just a little different when you don't have to sell them on anything.
4: Yeah. A couple things there. Number one is yes, it, uh, you know, each relationship is a unique relationship. And at the end of the day, you and your goaltender have to get to a comfort level with that relationship and get to a point of trust, place of trust. And a, and there's a level of loyalty and a level of all those things that, that come into play um, in the development of that relationship, just like any other life relationship um, and strong functioning relationship. So, so there's no doubt there's that um, on the flip side. Uh, You know, Roberto once said, you know, someone asked me a very similar question about this whole business of not being an NHL goaltender myself. And I remember vividly Roberto Luongo getting asked that question uh, about my lack of NHL experience. And he said, what are you talking about? He has the same amount of NHL experience I do because he's lived every game with me. He's sat there. He's lived it. He's played it with me. He has the exact same amount of NHL experience that I do.
2: I've, actually, it's a, it's a good way of thinking about it. I never thought of it that way. Um, what's that role like at the NHL level? And I guess it probably, again, varies from guy to guy, but how much are you... How much of it is teaching and that relationship building? How much of it, especially as it evolves, is, is about being an advocate for your goaltender within your coaching staff? And again, I know all the situations are different, but it's not... It's not just about coaching anymore, is it? There's a lot that goes into this job. You're a part time psychologist, um, managing sort of expectations within the coaching staff, all those different elements. It's it's a little more than just going out and running drills, isn't it? Yeah. And
4: it's a, you know, there is, of course, the technical slash structural, mechanical, positional side of the position that you have to be impactful in. Um, Because, of course, you know, those are things that help streamline your goaltender's performance, provide consistency, et cetera. You know, at the same time, I often, you know, and I'll use uh, an example with Sergey. You know, Sergey was a goaltender that I coached for going, all, going seven years. And, you know, from a goaltender that was pretty raw when we got him to a goaltender that is obviously highly evolved now. And I went from very much a high, high developmental role in his game early on, as we began to pursue some of the development we did in his game. And then we got to a point where I kind of transitioned, you know, and really my primary job with Bob, obviously I I characterize it two ways in one case, one in one, um, one side of it was, I was kind of his GPS. I was kind of his compass. So if he's, he's going through the course of that grinding. You know, up to hundred plus game season, you know, really, when you think about the exhibition games and the 82 game schedule and playoffs and everything else. And as he goes through the grind of that season and he goes a little off track, you know, it's very easy for a goaltender, even if they're very knowledgeable about not only the position, but how they play the game, their, their approach to the position, very easy to get a little bit sidetracked and start heading off, I call it into the wilderness. And really, it's my job to say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hey, Bobo, come back over here. we need to come back over here." And so, on the one hand, it, you I shifted from a heavy developmental role as we sh- sought to bring more cohesion to what he was doing out there and some more logic to what he was doing out there, um, to, as I say, this sort of compass GPS type role. And the other role I had was, and you've alluded to this, Kevin, in the uh, with respect to how you deal with coaching staffs and your management group and all that and that is i would say to people what my number one job right now is to create an environment for him to succeed and that includes recovery that includes making sure their spirit remains high can you close the door on today so that you can open the door tomorrow with all the vigor and all the energy and all of you know bringing all that emotion emotional energy into it every day because it's a grind it's a grinder and you better have your spirit there with you and you better have your emotional energy uh or you're gonna you're gonna falter significantly
2: now do you have to watch like do you have to is it about consistency for yourself and being the same or do you have to really monitor and feed off of them are they high are they low Uh, and adjust sort of your personality or your outlook to that day based on what you're reading off your goaltender, or, or do you just need to be consistent as the goaltending coach so that they know they can sort of count on that, um, regardless of how they feel on a day-to-day basis?
4: Well, I think it's both. I think, I think there is some consistency issues. Um, and then I think you do have to read off them because it is a grinder and it is a marathon and there are days that, you know, they're coming off maybe a subpar performance. Uh, and there, or there's a day where they've, you know, they've, they've played, they've played say three and five games and you've got to be able to read off of them and where they're at. You know, I often tell goaltenders part of my job is, is to generate, regenerate spirit. If they come into that lock into that locker room and they've lost the spark in their eyes and they come in with low energy energy. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, then they're not going to put in not just the work. It's not just the volume of work, but it's quality of work. It's the attention to detail. They're not going to have, you know, it's partly my job to ensure that that great personal discipline that some of these goaltenders have. It's partly my job to provide nutrition for that in how I manage. Uh, They have limited resources. And at the end of the day, I have to play a role in allowing them to maximize the resources they that they do have.
2: Can you tell we're in Vancouver? The listeners are going to be like, what is all this? It's like, it's like a hurricane outside as we're driving home here. So I apologize for the sound of rain, but folks, that's what living in Vancouver is like even in September. I want to talk a little bit about the technical, but I don't want to get bogged down in it. Um, there are so many different ways we could go. I think people who know you and know your history know, I mean, Goalie News Magazine is how I got into it. Editing your articles is how I learned, sort of developed a passion to even play the position myself. Um, what do you think? Like, I guess the big question would be like, how do you see the game evolving technically? Um, but it's such a big question. Like, can you even answer that one? Are the, the evolution, one of the biggest evolutions in the past 10 years in your experiences?
4: Well, I mean, there's a few questions there. Uh, I tend to do that. Let's start with. Let's start with, um, you know, where, where where's the, where's the position going? You know, for me, and as a coach, just like a player goes through an evolution, they go on a journey. My journey involves working with other coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches. My journey very much involves working with goaltenders and arguably the greatest evolution in my teaching comes from goalies as I. As I watch these, as I watch Roberto Luongo go out there and 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 live and breathe goaltending with him every day, or Sergei Bobrovsky and now Jacob Markstrom. Number one, you're listening to them and you're getting feedback from them, and you're seeing these different minds, these different bodies, these goaltenders with different resources find solutions to things out there, and that sparks ideas in your in your mind. So that's sort of you know that's part of my journey, but I can tell you that as I've gone through this. You know, as you alluded to, 20 years, almost two decades in the NHL, I look at the position very differently now. I was very much a goaltender, a coach that was focused on the technical, mechanical aspect of the position. And now I look at the technical, mechanical, structural aspect of the position. Is
2: it getting louder? It's it's like a, we are like folks, we are literally like there was a flash flood going down the street here. So, <laughs> but I think technology is going to allow me to keep our levels hot and not to a minimum. Okay. So we'll just keep going because I am hanging off every word here and I know our listeners will too.
4: So, and, and so I look at that and I really, I, and I've said this to many people Um, I certainly haven't said it on this podcast, but I'll, I'll say it here. As I look at goaltending, and I, and I really believe that there are seven key components to elite-level performance for a goaltender. And they're kind of big-picture items, but I believe it's a goalie coach's responsibility to be able to nurture all of them. And this is where it gets a little tricky because technique is very, very tangible in the sense that here's the technique. If I do this technique over and over and over again with a high level of attention to detail— And high level of quality, I'm going to get better and better at that technique. But at the end of the day, technique is not going to translate into elite goaltending in and of itself. It's just simply not. And so technique is one of the seven big components. And I'm just going to list the seven for me. All right.
2: I'm literally hanging off
4: this. So these are big ticket items. They're not, and maybe some are a little ambiguous. But when I say... Goaltending athleticism, I'm not talking about trained athleticism in the gym. I am talking about the goaltender's natural ability to athletically play the position. Part of that is flexibility and elasticity. Part of that is, you know, I know Mitch Korn would use the word contortability. That was a big Mitch Korn word that I picked up because, of course, you learn from other goalie coaches too. Um, but the ability to use athleticism to support your game, goaltending athleticism, if you don't have it, you're going to struggle in, to hit the elite. Stratosphere. Uh, competitiveness. If you're not your team's fiercest competitor, you're going to struggle in putting that full recipe together as an elite goaltender. Uh, so competitiveness is essential. There is nothing, there is never a time where our competitiveness isn't, it's always there. And I often use the term with goaltenders. We have to repeat the compete. It kind of has a little rhyme to it because competitiveness is not, it's it's kind of a general thing. But if you want to get really good at it, you better repeat it, and it better happen in practice. And so, competitiveness is is. And I'm just saying these things alphabetically, just so you know. Instinctive ability. What is instinctive ability? Can we define that? Well, my definition for that is the ability to break from structure, the ability to find a creative solution under pressure in the moment. And if you look at the elite goaltenders, and go on, I would recommend all goalies go on YouTube and watch. You know the ten greatest saves from 2019 and 2018 and 20. Some of these saves that, whether it's Jonathan Quick or Henrik Lundqvist or Sergei Bobrovsky, and you watch these saves; these are unique one-off saves. They're saves that you can't actually repeat because you may only ever use them once in your career. And so, the instinctive ability to break from structure is a combination of compete and creativity. We then get to. We can get, um, I may go off uh, um, alphabetical here, but we're going to get to reactivity. If you cannot support, if you can only support your inside from a coverage perspective, which of course we see a lot of these butterfly goaltenders that are collapsing down in butterfly, they never get beat through themselves.
2: Right? That old adage, nothing through you, that's not enough anymore. Not
4: enough. So the ability to react and to protect your outside equally as well as your insight, is an essential piece of the elite puzzle. We then get to, well, we'll throw out technical. We'll call it technical, call it structural, call it mechanical, whatever you want to do. Okay? That is an important component to the recipe. And the other one that is absolutely essential is the goaltender's visual talent. And it is the responsibility, in my mind, of the goaltending coach and the goaltender, of course, to pursue all seven of those. Now every goaltender out there has a unique recipe, and that's a challenge because a lot of what goes on in there out there developmentally with goaltenders is goalies come into a curriculum, and they do the same drills and they're asked to do the same things. And at the end of the day, if we go look at the elite goalies of the game, whether you want to look at Tuka Rask or Henrik Lundqvist or Pekka Rene, or Sergei Bobrovsky or Carey Price or and you, Jonathan Quick or whoever you want to name in this group, Andre Vasilevsky, of course, is a wonderful young boy. John, I mean, there's lots of them. Yep. They're all very unique. They all have a unique recipe. This is not a template. There is no template. And so we have to pursue all, uh, all of these avenues within our game if we truly want to
2: become elite. You need all seven components, but not everyone's gonna have them to the same degree or the same percentage. So it's a matter of sort of, you always wanna maximize each component, but finding the right mix for each guy. Marc-Andre Fleury,
4: for example, may be a guy that has a full cup of technique, but Marty Berger only had two tablespoons of technique for argument. But if you want to talk about a competitor and you want to talk about instincts and you want to talk about goaltending, natural athleticism, you want to talk about reactivity, you want to talk about reads, you know, you've got Marty Berger there with some of the greatest attributes ever to play the game. And you could go and, you know, you look at every goaltender and every one of those recipes is just a little bit different.
2: Clarky, we're at 25 minutes. I'm a little worried as we part. We've arrived at your house. I'm a little worried with this weather that my car may actually float down the street and into the ocean here. It's raining pretty hard. Um, Can we make this a to be continued? Because I think we just hit the tip of the iceberg. Like those seven points are like that's gold. And I know our listeners are going to love it. I want to talk about your experiences in Sweden because there were a few years between NHL jobs there uh, and just your time in Russia with Bob. Um, So can we call this part one of To Be Continued? We can. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, I think we could probably keep going for another 25 minutes, but uh, I think we might need to start building the arc here. Well, Kevin, it was a pleasure. Enjoyed it. As always, love
4: talking goal, goal goaltending and um, love the ride but now I got to
2: get out into the hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. I think we might need to find you an umbrella. Okay. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.
0: so this is this is better and and great conversation. I just love that you guys were giving us the weather updates. Uh, oh, it's- uh, throughout. and and we just went through Dorian uh, on the East Coast uh, of uh, the United States and up into Canada and the Maritimes, and I've got trees all over the uh, the Ingul radio uh, Easter East Coast Bureau. Uh, so, so I thought that was uh, intriguing when you were talking about Mother Nature uh, raining down on you guys.
2: Now, when Hutch got the audio, he told me as he edited it that he couldn't actually hear the rain, but it felt like at the time. That's why there was some. We we're kind of pausing and trying to. Like it felt like it was coming through the car.
0: I could, I could. I you was. You could hear it, to it a little it bit. And okay. Yeah, I could. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a little disappointed. I thought your vehicle had better uh, insulation than that uh, for if you're going to have a mobile studio. But, uh, but we'll we'll let it go for this time. I'll work
2: on one of the one of the uh, one. One of the only missing features uh on the new ride. Um I literally we turned up a hill to get to his place in, in sort of the caresdale area, UBC area of Vancouver and there was so much water coming down the road. Uh it was it was literally halfway up the tires of a lot of cars. So like on a 20 inch rim. So it's like if like 10 inches of water through some of the intersections. I thought a pipe had burst because coming out of Vancouver up into that area, there'd been no rain and all of a sudden we just hit this. And as I started to go up the hill, like it was just pouring down these side streets. It was almost like a little mini flash flood. And we're trying to have this conversation, trying not to panic about the fact that it looks like cars are going to start floating towards us down the street. Like we needed an arc. So it was it was it was pretty funny to, to sort of be having this conversation, driving and, and witnessing what felt like some type of like. Uh, weather Armageddon uh, coming down on top of us. So I'm glad the quality worked out okay. That's a full credit to Clarkie's professionalism and ability to keep a mic at the same position he was. He praised Marty Brodeur for his goaltending style. But if Brodeur was the artist who moved the mic everywhere, Clarkie was the technician that kept it right by the chin. Yeah, that's great job. Uh,
0: so we have five holes in, in goaltending, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, fifth one between the legs. And seven, what do they call them, philosophies? I believe uh, believe he called them
2: basically his keys to elite goaltending. Seven seven elements that are necessary to be in. Uh, I think that's what makes us so passionate about the position. One thing I always say I love, there is no one way. There is no absolutes in the position of goaltending, or there are certainly very few. There are... There are trends and, and certain aspects that will lead to certain results most of the time. There are very few absolute one-way, only way to play the position. And so hearing him sort of walk through those seven elements in his mind and the fact they can be mixed to such wide varying degrees was, was pretty cool. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, when you talk about somebody who wrote the book on something, like he quite literally wrote the book on you know sort of the modern butterfly goaltending game. Uh, the first one was called From the Crease. You bought it almost like a magazine subscription and it came with a binder. And as each one came in, it was sort of all done through progressions and stages and you put it in the binder. And I talked to goalie coaches at all levels now. And a lot of them have that binder. I know some of the biggest names in the game, in the goaltending world, subscribed to that product back in the day. Uh, And then where I met him, his magazine goalie news sort of continued that tradition of technical writing, um, but in more of just a month to month. Uh, little micro-progressions from one month to the next, but not as sort of a, a manual. And if I can tell one more story, because when we get him back on, we're going to talk about his time in Sweden. We're going to talk about his ties to Russia, why he thinks Russian goaltending right now um, you know, is a place where a lot of NHL teams are looking for the next talent, that blend between maybe too much technique at a young age. All those elements he's got amazing thoughts on. But the story I wanted to share is one that Fred Brathway shared with me, when we talk about writing the book in a manual, um Hockey Canada sent a group of goalie coaches to Sweden a number of years back. I think Rick Romsley was one of them, Fred Brathwaite was one of them. And according to Fred, and I believe I've actually had this told from by Thomas Magnuson as well, um, when the Hockey Canada group said we 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 kind of, you know, they've got a manual uh in Sweden, a, a goaltending manual, and Swedish goaltending was very popular at the time in the NHL, a lot of guys getting drafted. Um and so people wanted to know about this manual. We've we've sort of published images from it uh, at ingolmag.com. and the response, I believe it was from Magnus, and I shouldn't put words in his mouth, but certainly someone at the Swedish on the Swedish side of things said, like, why don't you just ask Ian Clark because we base this manual off of his writing. So. Um, and of course he had worked for hockey Canada for all those years. So when I say he wrote the book, I don't, I, I mean it quite literally. I'm not saying that lightly in any way, shape or form. He really is one of the godfathers of sort of modern technical goaltending. What a compliment to him. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we should share that with him. We don't want to, we don't want to pump the tires too much. <laughs> I, and, and the fact that you, you drove
0: him home. Okay. All right. See you. Thanks for the ride. All right. Bye. Uh, goalie coat, which, which is, a, is, a, is a great tribute to you too in, in having that kind of access. And you're right. We've been, we've been talking about getting in on here from the very start. And he's one of those guys where you're talking to him every day. So you're, you're flipping around and some, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but he's also very busy. Hey, uh, just one quick uh, story before we get to the gear segment. Uh, you helped out a, a goaltender at the Canucks Prospects with uh, some of the in-goal demo gear.
2: Yeah, we like to... We, we parade the fact... Um, we're kind of proud of the fact that we've developed a pretty uh, deep list of equipment testers uh, from a wide variety of backgrounds. Everything from beer league to guys who are playing pro overseas and in the summers they want to try gear. Like We make sure when we do a review... We've gotten that feedback, feedback, sorry, a lot of junior A goalies, some major junior goalies, but I got to say this was a first. Artur Silovs, who the Canucks drafted this year, signed already as a late-round pick. Like, they are big on this kid out of Latvia. He arrived after making the decision, not until late August, to go play in Barrie in the Ontario Hockey League this year and signing with the Canucks. He arrived to training camp with a set of pads that looked like they went through his entire season last year, CCM E-Flex pads, and they were pretty worn out, and he's facing some elite shooters. He'll be at training camp with the Canucks when it opens on Friday. He was at their prospects camp this week, and so I noticed on the second day of camp, he all of a sudden, he wasn't wearing E-Flex. He was wearing a set of Premier 2s, which that's one thing I like about CCM, two very distinct lines. Uh, very distinct properties between the pads one all about sort of soft flex and feel and the other a lot stiffer at least maybe not in the boot anymore but you know from sort of the from the boot break up a lot stiffer and he was wearing G- jake Keeley's pads and he he didn't look real comfortable in them. so i just i happen to mention like uh, we have an e-flex 4 set that's still in really good shape um just happened to be in canucks colors and sure enough, they took me up on it. And he was out there on the, the third day of Canucks Prospects camp in an in-goal magazine branded set of CCM E-Flex 4 pads. And it looks like he liked them enough that he's going to continue them while he waits for his set uh, to arrive for his season with with Barry in the Ontario Hockey League. And I'm not sure if he's scheduled to get into a game. Their preseason opens against Calgary and Victoria on Monday they are pretty deep in goal this year. You think of Markstrom, Demko, Bachman, DiPietro, Keeley, um Keely. Like there's, you know, there's there's not a, and Zane McIntyre who signed as a free agent in the summer. Right. There's not a lot of room at the end. Um so I'm not sure he gets an appearance in the preseason, but if he does, it will be an in-goal magazine test pad. So I got to say that's a first and that's pretty cool. Uh, that's awesome. Saw the pictures on on the
0: uh, InGoal Instagram account and did a double take. What what's going on here? Uh, so you uh, you headed out to uh, visit your buddy Cam uh, again, and uh, and part of that uh, experience coming off that was obviously uh, the Henrik uh, Lundqvist. Uh, I don't know product that caught your eye.
2: Yeah, no, and uh, so there's the tease we told listeners to be waiting for uh, a pro return. Henrik Lundqvist, and I shouldn't say A, they have uh, looked like at least half a dozen, maybe some more in the back, 2X Pro stick. And what makes this unique is, as is, is we said in our review of the 2X Pro stick by Bauer, first composite stick that Henrik Lundqvist has used in the NHL. He switched over last season after being a longtime foam core guy. And of course, Bauer has made it with that squared off paddle that Henrik prefers. And I've had that conversation with him over the years or in in years past about why he has that very unique paddle. He feels like it allows him to present the blocker more square and sort of be more active with the blocker. And so pretty much anyone can now go and buy it from thehockeyshop.com, your very own Henrik Lundqvist, like legit pro stock. 2x pro stick with his unique paddle and because it's pro stock cam will explain it's actually a hundred dollars less than you would pay to just buy a regular bauer 2x pro off the rack so those will be up at the hockey shop.com they're in store right now and cam's going to walk us through sort of the ins and outs of what you get when you buy that in the gear segment along of course with the undergarments it's part of the relationship that uh, the Source for Sports, the Hockey
0: Shop, uh, HockeyShop.com has with these manufacturers, and it's why you go visit them and lean on them for all your goaltending equipment needs. It's the year segment on In Goal Radio, the podcast with Woody and Cam.
2: Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports out here in Surrey, British Columbia, the suburbs of Vancouver. Uh, you can also check them out at thehockeyshop.com. We're back in the basement this week. We've gone, a, we've we've kind of jumped around a little bit. Cam brought in some outside voices, but now we're back to the master. Cam Matt Wiv joins us here in what I call a little slice of goalie heaven. We're in the back room today, which means I'm surrounded by all their inventory. Uh, I literally look down a hallway, and it's boxes like to the roof. All goalie equipment. This is why you come here because if you need it, they got it, and they got guys like Cam that can tell you what you need to make you a better goaltender. And speaking of that, you've got a new product to share with us today. You guys are now stocking a product that we've reviewed in the past, but now you're going to sell. So nice little synergy there. Uh, a new base layer option. Walk us through it. Yeah, we just uh, picked up uh,
3: the onarch Base Layer uh, Pant here for uh, goalie specifically in particular. Um, and this is one where I'll actually have to probably default back to you to be the nerd on gear here a little bit, because to be honest, I don't know too much about it. (laughs) I just got back in from uh, a week of uh, meetings here. so uh, Top secret meetings. Top secret meetings. Uh, Found it on the wall here. And uh, I believe I might look to you to tell me about it a little bit here.
2: Yeah, I've had some experience in it. And I brought a sample that we've been using for our testers. And the feedback's been really positive. So now you can actually take that sample and get it on the ice. I think what a lot of our guys liked was sort of the fact that everything was combined in one piece. So if you're a guy that likes to wear a cup underneath your goalie cup, um, and we know at the NHL level, two cups is a minimum. A lot of guys will even wear sort of three. Um, It has that built in. You don't have to throw on your base layer and throw on a can and then throw on a goalie cup. Um, It's got Velcro straps. If you like to wear, you know, if your team has team socks that you need to wear under, you're not just a random beer league hack like myself. um, It's got the Velcro built in. Uh, it's got the skate protection, and I think uh, skate cut protection uh, in the lower leg and kind of you know through the Achilles and up into the calf. That's that's a big deal. It's got padding on the backside, um, which I found you know I, I actually wondered if that might be a little redundant, but it's kind of smart. Again, the back of your legs are an area that can be exposed. The back of your knee, um, not you're going to take a ton of pucks off there, but wax uh, guys digging around for loose pucks and even the potential of, of somebody skating over top there. Just a little extra protection. And then the other big one that I think guys liked a lot was the knee grip. Um, There's a grip material that's kind of on the outside of the knee. And the idea here is it just, you know, it's there to sort of help prevent your knee pads from slipping down. And what I like, like if I was to build a perfect pant, it would probably be this. And actually, I should also say the other thing guys liked was there's a bit of that non-slip grip material in the waistband as well. So in terms of how a pant fits and and staying secure and not slipping, just having that little little layer, um, that was something that guys noted as well. Um, If I was building a perfect pant, it would be something along these lines um, with extra knee padding protection. I was spoiled by the Bauer one, um, which has obviously been discontinued, but that was one of my favorite pair of pants. Uh, Just that extra layer of padding. What I like about this, and this ties into another product you've got on the shelf, That non-slip grip type material on the knee, and it really is effective on a knee pad, would also be effective if you were to buy, say, one of the Bauer padded um, knee sleeves, which, again, I believe has been discontinued, but you guys have a ton in stock. That'd be a nice combination and two pieces. Bob's your uncle. You've got everything covered, Um, you know, as opposed to putting on a base layer, then adding, you know, a, a can um, then adding knee protection, then adding a cut proof sock. Like it really does bring everything into one. And, you know, we've heard a lot of positivity about the breathability of it. Um, it is a heavier undergarment. So you, as you kind of look at it, you're like, Hey, is this going to be hot? But that wasn't the experience we had.
3: Yeah. It's funny. There's a couple of things I keep going back to that, uh, that, uh, grip on the knee there. It's definitely a nice addition and feature. I don't think it, anybody yeah.
2: else, that's basically unique to this undergarment. I'm not, I don't believe there's anybody else with that feature on, on an undergarment for goaltenders. I think
3: another one for the, for the padding on the back of like, too, if you get uh, bugged by Velcro at all on your current base layer or anything about your straps, just kind of wedging into you, this will just give you that little bit of an extra layer
2: in between well, two. like, a, like yeah. a Velcro knee strap around that's, that's kind of digging in.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Just to give you a little bit of extra there. So I think that's uh, I might apply to a few uh, folks that come through the door for sure.
2: Yeah. And I think the, one of the, you know, I think one of the biggest thing, um, one of our testers wrote in some of the feedback, I think it ties it up quite nicely is, is the Uh, the base, the goalie base allowed me to replace both my Kevlar socks, as well as my compression jock shorts, which of course you, a lot of people wear for the Velcro to to pull up plus the compression, um, to pull up socks, um, decreasing the amount of time to get dressed and onto the ice, as well as providing an ease of mind, knowing I've simplified my gear less to remember the added protection in these exposed areas provides additional comfort and ease of mind, knowing you're protected, no matter what position you find yourself in, And that may sound like an advertorial, but that's actually one of the feedbacks of one of our testers who plays at a pretty high level, uh, actually back in Ontario, guys done some writing for us. And so that's kind of, you know, that's what we like to do with our tests is get it out into as many hands and not just echo what the company says. But in this case, I think a lot of their claims hold up. So congratulations to the Hockey Shop and the Hockey Shop Source for Sports for adding yet another good item to the inventory list and make sure all the goalies can check it out Online at hockeyshop.com. And if they got any questions about sizing or anything like that, Kim, where can they get you? At 604 589 8299. Okay. Now we talked about this. We talked about the knee sleeves. I happen to know a couple NHL goalies that might be interested. I already said a text to one might be interested in the, picking up some of your excess stock of knee sleeves. This, again, this is what I tell you, folks. These people understand goaltending. So they stock up on items that it get discontinued and now you can get them at the hockey shop. But speaking of unique items, I walked in and I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to go away from the base layer right now. I'm like, is that a Lundquist and a Dubnik 2X Pro? Is that like Lundquist with the actual cutout of Lundquist? And in a composite you got, stick. In a composite stick. And of course, if you read our 2X Pro review at ingolmag.com, you know that Lundquist switched to a composite stick last season after years and years of using a foam core. Um, The 2X Pro was the one that finally got him to switch. Cam, you've got Pro Return here. And anybody who knows the the sort of famous square top um, on the handle that Lundquist uses, they've actually got that exact model. It's an actual Lundquist stick available at the hockey shop and on sale. How come a Lundquist model stick is $100 less at $199 compared to to $299 than an off-the-rack 2X Pro stick? Pro return. Okay, so pro return. I think we need to let our listeners know what pro return means. The difference here is it's not warranty, right? That's correct. So so no warranty on it, but you can actually get a Henrik Lundqvist, like built for him stock stick um, with that unique uh, grip at the handle. Um, 2X Pro from the thehockeyshop.com at 200 bucks right now. Canadian. You've also got a Dubnik model, but... This one, in addition to sort of being the tan to match his tan pads uh, for special games, uh, so a a unique color, there is, it's skin 2X Pro, but you got to know in this case, same price point, 200 instead of 300, but it's not an actual 2X Pro, that's a skinned NXG.
3: That's correct. Yeah. So a little bit of a different stick. I mean, if, if green's your thing, like,
2: yeah. But it's a little bold. It's a hey, listen. Some goalies want to be bold. If you've got actually, if you've got any green, if you've got a if you've got any green in your team and you have a if you're a goalie that wears a retro gear, like a tan, that's that's hot. I'd be stocking up on that one. And the Dubnik, because again, like they don't just these are not um these are not sort of Hey, we're going to bring it in in every size because they don't make it in every size. These are literal pro returns, which means they are the actual sticks. So in Dubnik's case, it's a 25 and a half inch paddle, as I said, an NXG skinned as a 2x pro, Uh, and in Lundquist's case, I believe uh, Henrik is a 25 inch paddle, again with that you you know very unique sort of grip at the top, um, at the shoulder. Uh, We'll we'll have some pictures uh, on our social media later today. I've talked to Henrik about what he likes about the way. Uh, his hand fits on that grip and why he goes that way. So we'll roll that out at IngolMag.com and ingosocial, and you can check it out at thehockeyshop.com. Like I said, on sale, it uh, looks like they've got maybe half a dozen, maybe a few more in the back of each model. So your chance to basically get Henrik Lundqvist stick uh, and add a discount. Just the caveat, it's a, pro retur- it's a pro return twig, so there is no warranty. Chem, what the hell, man? Couple weeks off and I did all the talking.
3: It was all you? I mean, i
2: have getting replaced here slowly. eh? <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah. I guess maybe. I don't know. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. All right, but you keep bringing in stuff like this, and inventory like this, and unique pieces like the base layer. Uh, from can you? T- I always I pronounce this brutally. Give me the proper pronunciation. On Onrik. Yeah, I hope that's right. He's cringing as he says it. I don't know how to say it. I do know it's a good product, and another example of why I shop at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com because these guys bring in products that are going to help goaltenders. Cam, thanks. We'll catch up again soon. Um Hopefully uh, fill me in on some of the secret things you learned during your travels to see all the manufacturers of late.
3: story for another time.
0: Fascinating idea because one, it gets away from from the socks I, I you should still wear socks uh protective socks guys and and girls listening uh but uh the fact that i keep losing my socks <laughs> sometimes leaves me leaves me without so these the, this this piece of apparel and equipment uh is is a is a great uh forefront uh, not just a backup to to protection but uh, but leads the way uh hutch uh no brainer for you
1: uh, no brainer. Cause I don't wear socks. <laughs> Even really? You, yeah, I know. I could never get used to them. So this is really a nice way to, to compromise. I, 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 I believe in them. I can see there's a huge advantage, but, uh, yeah, just never got
0: used to it. Wow. You are our dad and just throwing caution to the wind and living so carelessly. Well, somebody has got to be that- old school and not care about safety, right? I'm very disappointed, Woody. I mean this is this is a shock to my system right now knowing that Dad is uh, is irresponsible.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of like I'm pretty close to speechless and I think we're what 34 episodes in, we know that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. No, it doesn't.
0: Uh, speaking of uh, episode 34, uh, Hutch, we got a great uh, little uh, email just from somebody saying, why don't we do uh, little tie-ins to each episode number relating to goaltenders and, and who wore that particular number. This is episode 34. He mentioned uh, John Van Beesbrick and was one of the first people to use uh, uh, just a, a piece of equipment that's, that's on a comeback and the uh, the glove underneath the glove. Well,
1: gosh, yeah, now you got me speechless because I don't have the email in front of me and I feel really bad because it's nice of, it's nice of a reader to, to send in a good idea. And it was a great idea. Uh, The suggestion being uh, whatever episode number we're on, we should use that as a Jersey number and come up with a a fact about a goaltender who wore that number. And, and he wanted it to be something uh, maybe just a little bit less known, a little bit more obscure and, uh, and I believe the suggestion was that John Van Biesbrook wore number 34, today's episode number, and that he uh, was the first to wear uh, an extra glove under his, under his trapper. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I'll take, take him for his word. And uh, what interesting attribution.
0: Number 34. What, when I throw that at you right now, uh, Woody... Uh, who's the first number 34 that currently plays in the NHL that jumps to mind?
2: I gotta be honest. The first one that jumps to mind is probably James Reimer. Cause yeah, I think Peter, he had yeah. to switch only because uh, I mean, he's a guy that we've worked with um, and built a relationship with in person over the summers, but also because it's timely because he had to switch, right? He's going to Carolina. I believe he's swapping over to 47 cause Peter Morazic, was already number thirty four, and uh, that reminds me, I forgot to send him a note asking why forty seven. I'm sure <laughs> it we'll was find about to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, we will find
0: out soon enough. Uh, John Graham is the guy that uh, with you talk about forty seven war number 47 wow that's impressive darren (laughs) thank you Uh, then you know what there's an obscure uh, factor all on Uh, its own good that is that is
2: a don taylor level of (laughs) jersey reference and now we're gonna have to next week explain who don taylor is for people not in the vancouver market but that is that is Uh, up there darren that is impressive better better get
1: a john graham cameo at episode 47 please
2: Oh, I've talked, John has some good stories because after his career ended in the NHL, there was some time in the, uh, the there, was a, there was a stint in the KHL and uh, I've heard a few of those stories. There are some beauties. John Graham during the Stanley Cup run, uh, a couple of stories during
0: that year as well. Uh, and why Nikolai Habibulin ended up being the guy. And Donnie Taylor, the golden boy, uh, that's what we called him uh, from Sports SportsPage and, and SportsNet days. Uh, Thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. Episode uh, 34. We will track uh, episode 35. Tom Barrasso, Tony Esposito, a couple of southpaws uh, there for you. For Kevin Woodley and Dave Hutchison, I'm Darren Millard. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation with Ian Clark and, of course, Cam from The Hockey Shop, Source for Sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. If you have any uh, reactions to this, tips, comments, or just uh, viewer feedback, uh, Hutch. Where should they send uh, their feedback? Uh,
1: I believe any questions, feedback, ideas, suggestions to
0: podcast
1: at ingolmag.com.
0: And don't forget to uh, rate us. Give us a like on your particular podcast provider. Training camps are open when we next talk to you. We look forward to bringing you the latest and the greatest from the goaltending world, both on the ice and in the pro shops. Bye for now.